Live from the Business Radio X studio inside Renaissance Bank, the bank that specializes in understanding you. It's time for North Fulton Business Radio. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of North Fulton Business Radio. I'm John Ray. And folks, we are broadcasting from inside Renaissance Bank in beautiful Alpharetta. And if you're looking for a bank that you're not going to have to worry about picking up the paper on Monday morning and reading about them in the headlines, you know what I mean by that if you've been following the financial news this year, uh, Renaissance Bank is your bank. And here's the bonus. They're big enough to handle pretty much any need you can throw at them as a a, uh, business, but they're small enough to do it in a personal way. I know this myself from my dealings with them. So uh, go to renaissancebank.com and find one of their local offices and be in touch. And guess what? A real person will answer the phone. Imagine that. Renaissance Bank, understanding you, member FDIC. And here's a uh, guest I've been looking forward to for some time. Jan Saperstein is with us, folks. Jan is with Southeastern Asset Management Group. Jan, welcome to the show. Good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So let's give everyone a, a brief introduction to you and your work at Southeastern Asset Management Group. How are you serving folks out there? Well, it's a good question. First, I'm going to say to you that uh, the way you introduced the bank seems like something that somebody I need to to, uh, to get in touch with ourselves. <laughs> uh, it does. Uh, Southeastern Asset Management Group acts as a asset manager, which uh, basically oversees multiple uh, investments in and shop- commercial real estate, primarily shopping centers. It's not the property manager. It basically acts as the owner's representative mm. and uh, um, you know interfaces and sort of guides the guides the ship, mm-hmm. so to speak. Right. So uh, doesn't take roof leak calls, but we uh, oversee uh, you know the budget for roof leak vendors simplistically. So mm-hmm. that's, that's how we work. Got it. it yeah. And you, you've got an interesting history when it comes to how you got into real estate. You and I were talking about this on a pre-show call. Right. Um, right. Share that story. If you would. I'd be happy to, uh, got out of the university of Georgia and, uh, uh didn't have a clue what to do. Uh, this is you know, in the early 80s. And my mother at the time was the executive secretary for, uh, it was first, I think way back when, it might have been First National Bank of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, back, in, back, in back in the day, which evolved, to, I think, first Wachovia and then Wachovia, anyway, it's evolution. But at the time, uh, she was executive, executive ter- uh, secretary to the uh, chairman of the board. Mm. And and one of the conversations, not directly to me, but one of her, you know, general conversations, was about how um, I think six or seven of the largest depositors in the bank were all of these people who own commercial real estate. <laughs> and it wasn't like do this; it wasn't directional. Sure, it was just a conversation. Epiphany. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I can, I think I can figure this out. Right. Right. And, uh, that's what started my, uh, my, uh, journey. Wow. That was it. Yeah. 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 So 
That's a great story. She may not have meant that to be a causal uh, connection, but you took it that way, right? I took I took it that way. I think <laughs> there's a higher there's a higher order. I don't know what that means, but uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much what happened. Yeah, you know, um, and uh, and the and the key was always and it still was the driver. Is that the reason being is that they're making more of everything. They're making more of me and you and these computers and our car phones and everything, 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 but land. Mm. They're not making more of it. Yeah. So that simple premise is, um, you know, investing in the most limited commodities is, uh, what drove me to, uh, to understand, uh, uh, commercial real estate mm. residential. I had no, no interest in, it, uh, but uh, commercial made sense to me. So that was it. Well, you teed me up for my next question, which was going to be uh, mm-hmm. why not just commercial, but specifically uh, retail, shopping center, real estate. What what piqued your interest there, pulled you into that sector? Well, I'll tell you, simplistically, uh, again, it's they're making, they're not making many hypothetically Peachtree and Piedmonts, mm. right? In, in the office world, you could you want to be a, a tenant hypothetically wants to be in a certain macro market. They want to be in Johns Creek. They want to be in, you know, Buckhead. Mm-hmm. And so the area is is uh dominant as opposed to the intersection. And mm. you, it's hard to duplicate major intersections. Mm-hmm. So therefore because of you know traffic patterns and coming and goings, that's what you sort of want. It's it's easier to identify. It's easier to identify Peachtree and Piedmont as a and you can therefore you can deal from strength with tenants and with lenders because hypothetically if you own this major intersection as opposed to owning, you know, somewhere in hypothetically Buckhead or perimeter where, you know, the 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 area you can you can have an office building in that periphery, mm-hmm. so you know it's it's just a little easier to understand at least for me the the gravitational pull toward just major intersections. Mm-hmm. You know, it was easy to understand. Yeah, so. yeah that that makes a ton of sense, particularly when you're talking about limited supply, because as you say, there's only so much around right. those four corners of. Uh, right. to your example, Peachtree and Piedmont. Correct. Right. Right. So that, that's the reason why it's, it's sort of a simplistic, you know, in, in your, in my thinking, it's that where's the most limited commodity and how can I own it mm-hmm. and, and, or, or get close to it. And that's, that's always been the driver. Right. Cause yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So part of what we were talking mm-hmm. about, uh, leading up to the show is mm-hmm. how you pretty carefully, and I was very impressed by this in our conversation, you carefully understand the what's going on with your tenants in terms of their economics and right. what what is important for them. And therefore, because they're obviously their uh, rental payments every month come out of, of, uh, right. revenue. And so it's important for you to understand how that works. Right. Exactly. And, and, and a lot of it is simply in our world, since this is our real estate and we own it, right. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're, last thing I want is for, 
to tenant to we put a tenant in having the rent be the driver and not the use mm. uh, because uh, there's no reason to have a tenant in there that can't pay the rent and you're going to end up with a vacancy. And it's going to start all over again. Right. Right. So knowing somewhat certain categories of tenants and what they can pay. Right. Um, can dictate the, the type of uh, tenant that you want to be able to put into a certain, to a certain, you know, box within your shopping center. And what and and how they how their rent equates to, uh, uh, you know how their their annual revenue equates to what they can pay you in rent. Meaning, if you have a tenant that's paying you can there's a million dollars a year in sales volume. General rule of thumb is ten percent rent to sales. So which means no that tenant can pay a hundred thousand dollars a year, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So simplistically, that's that's what we think that tenant can, 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 uh, cover in rent. And so some of the, uh, some of the restaurants, excuse me, some of the, uh, retailers like uh, grocers, okay. Their, their rent to, uh, sales ratio is probably closer to 3% or 4%. Right. Mm-hmm. But then you have some mom and pop restaurants who, you know, end up paying 20% rent to sales. So, that's why, to some degree, one of the factors is there's a lot of turnover in that business. But um, so that's what I sort of look at, you know, uh, and knowing that, you know, hypothetically, if a sandwich shop that, that can do, you know, does me $500,000 a year, uh, says, look, we love this location and we, we can pay whatever the rent happens to be. And their rent to sales ratio is 25 percent. I'd, I'd rather not have them as a tenant because it's just going to be a matter of time before I have to retenant the space. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the the precursor of uh, of uh, the right type of tenant selection. And that, that was a long that was a long answer for a simplistic question. No, that was a gr- no, that was a great answer. And and one of the things that um, I mean you. you Again, when you and I were talking earlier, we you right. were talking uh, in some detail about um, the the demographics, the psychographics of right. your tenants, and that you right. get into that kind of detail as well. I do, because um, in a thousand years ago, in a land far away, I actually gave a couple of presentations to some commercial real estate uh, uh, groups about. Uh, the average shopper and the type of shopper. Uh, and at the time, uh, this is a little bit pre pre uh, e-commerce to some degree, but uh, the perfect shopper is about 80, 75% to 80% of all retail trade is women. Okay. And that's who makes the buy. That's who makes the buy decision. And so that's the type of tenant that we want to have in our centers that attract that customer. Mm-hmm. Because that customer is, uh, uh, you know, is what drives that that specific user, and so we want to get as many uh, female friendly operators tenants as we can have. And it's evidence not just simply by me, but by uh, a lot of other retailers. You'll see, you know, um, uh, Lowe's has lowered its, its shelf height so women can see over. Target's a perfect example where. They've spaced out and lowered the shelving height. So because they're doing that, not for me and you, mm-hmm. they're doing that for, uh, for, for women. 
And so um, uh, in today's world, that could be too sexist, but um, but that's just how uh, that's that's how simplistically it works. Right. Um, and I'll give you a question. Yeah. OK. We might have we might have had this conversation and, and if we did it before. Then you can say you did. Is like, what's the first thing you see when you walk into a grocery store? Did you and I have that conversation? We did. And thanks. So thankfully, I know the answer. That's the only reason I know the answer. <laughs> and, <laughs> when, and what is the answer? It's, it's flowers. And, right. Why? Yeah. Why? And, well, and, and just to be honest, uh, listeners, before uh, Jan and I had that conversation, I, I had no idea what the right answer was, even though I passed them in grocery stores every day. Um, right. Yeah. So, um, and it's flowers because it, um, appeals to women shoppers, makes right. the space look beautiful. All the, all the, all the reasons why, uh, right. yeah, you would have that right up front as opposed to, uh, 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 batteries or, uh, dog or food whatever. or something. Or, 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 right. Exactly. Yeah. And you see that it's funny as I go, I see it at the Walgreens near me. Mm-hmm. You know, Traders has it, uh, Kroger's has it, all the all, anywhere that you know wants to attract that shopper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, being sophisticated businesses and retailers, that's uh, a lot of times uh, you know that's that's a driver. Yeah, the huge driver. Yeah, right. So that, but that type of sophisticated retailers who we like to have in our center. Yeah. So right. it, yeah, and 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 so you're you're what that really boils down to is it's a retailer that understands their business and therefore you're, you're going to be able to count on consistent cash flow from that retailer because they understand their business and because they know how to attract customers and generate revenue. I mean, it's that simple, right? It is that simple, but we also don't want them to get into an over leveraged situation where, Mm -hmm. um, they, they can't afford the rent. Their, their ratios are, 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 are skewed. Mm hmm. And so it's, you know, it's, um, uh, it's, as I always say, it's dull, boring cash flow. We want dull, boring cash flow. And so that's, that's, that's the goal, <laughs> you know, so. Uh, yeah. Folks, Jan Saperstein is with us. He is with Southeastern Asset Management Group, um, who all they do is generate dull, boring cash flow so <laughs> well that's the that's the theory that's right. the theory you know there's always ebbs and flows yeah so um well let's yeah. talk about the the development of the business over time right. uh right. jan so talk, talk a little bit about the history of your of your business well uh i went to work uh when after that epiphany for my through my mother i went to work i got a real estate license i went to work for a local developer who has since passed on uh, passed uh, uh, Charlie Ackerman. He had mm-hmm. a, a large commercial real estate firm here and went to uh, work for Charlie for probably maybe four to five years. And at the time, we had um, also procured the Chick fil A account. And mm. so um, I left Charlie and uh, started doing Chick fil A's real estate with my own firm, mm-hmm. my own company. And uh, that basically that taught me, you know, direction. It taught me, uh, traffic patterns. It taught me who they want as demographically that surrounds them. And that same knowledge uh, is applied to different types of tenants. You know, why does one tenant want to be in a certain area? And why does one tenant want to be in another area? So the evolution of, of, uh, understanding the tenant and understanding the market that they 
want to be in allowed me to understand what to buy. Mm. Right. Just wasn't buying something because, you know, here's a, here's a shopping center that looks physically attractive. It's this simply knowing that that submarket has this type of demographic. So if that tenant goes out of business, there are some other tenants that will step in and backfill it because of that specific topic of demographic. So it gets it gets the properties in the batter's box repeatedly over time, right? So, um, you know, we, uh, that's that's sort of what we we're trying to choose. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, t- talk about developing your own properties Mm -hmm. versus buying existing properties and kind of the, the, um, decision set that you go through there. Well, it's, it's funny because at the time, the last property we developed was numbers of years ago, simply because, um, by the time we, we can, I can look at a shopping center that's for sale and in theory own it in 60 or 90 days. Okay. Mm -hmm. When you're developing, it's a long haul you're subject to interest rate spikes. You're subject to, you know, uh, construction cost overruns. You have to go through zoning. Long story short is it's a real, it's a real, a real job. Right. And, um, after a while I sort of tapped out of that. I said, it's easier for me to understand, uh, you know, I can go buy something without having to go through all the brutality of having to deal with the local governments mm. and plans and financing. So to me, it was, it was just a, a path of least resistance that, uh, you know, take advantage of somebody. So who already went through that? And that's, mm. that's, and, and there's no question that uh, my partner always says he and I would definitely screw it up. So, you know, we're, we're being a developer and, you know, investors, sometimes they're, they're, they're not, uh, they're not mutually attractive. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah. Well, and uh, yeah, I guess what you're talking, <clears throat> excuse me, what you're talking about is really yeah. uncertainty that, yeah. that right versus um, what you can control. I mean, that's really sounds like the trade off right. what you're talking about there. Yeah. You you really, you're until you, until you receive that certificate of occupancy that might've taken you two years to get to that point, mm-hmm. you know, there's and it has to be a perfect convergence as well of of is this is the marketplace still stable for that type of uh, development mm-hmm. right um, and because there's always constant constant uh, ebbs and flows in commercial real estate to some degree right um, you have to have the horsepower to be able to 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 let that river run mm. but you know. Um, in my world, after a little while, I said, you know, I, I don't, it's just too much risk reward and try to risk is not, I have no problem with risk hundred percent. Let's, let's do it, but it's educated risk. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we'll either buy a property and just ground lease it. Okay. And let the tenant go build and do whatever they want to do and just pay us base rent, but actually going and building a box. And having to go through that, that whole design process uh, is is uh, sort of honestly backed away from. Yeah, you know, so yeah. that that would just make them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Right. So, yeah. so you um, are you your investments are they exclusively here in the Atlanta area? Well, primarily, we at one time we had uh, 
other properties out of state, but um, it's also a good time. You know, it's 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 you have to know when to basically what's that song? Know when to hold them, know when to fold them. <laughs> I mean, meaning it sometimes uh, it's it's time to sell. So the point is, these properties that um, had gotten out of state. And we were depending on out-of-state uh, third-party management, out-of-state third-party leasing, right? Um, for for our small company, it, it was too onerous, so we decided to sell. But right now, we're primarily all over Atlanta, and we have a, a, a beautiful shopping center in, uh, outside of Savannah in Hinesville, Georgia. That's a power center mm. down there with uh, – I think Dick's and maybe TJ Maxx and I think Hobby Lobby, things like that. Right. Right. So, right. So mm-hmm. I am uh, quite certain that uh, listeners are at this point are, are wondering whenever I'm going to ask the question about e-commerce and the mm-hmm. effect of e-commerce on uh, physical right. in-person shopping and how that has all factored in to right. your investment work. That's a good question. Uh, since e-commerce came in, two things have happened. Uh, I'll use restoration hardware as an example. Mm-hmm. When you go to restoration hardware, you're basically walking into a showroom. You can't buy anything off the floor, mm. right? So they've taken that expensive real estate and, and moved the inventory from it traditionally to a warehouse somewhere. And so that's how they – that's how I think there was a good a good – ability to sort of navigate through e-commerce for them. That was a nice shift. Also, something that that's not e-commerce uh, affected by by uh, Amazon or e-commerce as well is is uh, specialty service users, mm. meaning uh, chiropractor, dentists, uh, you know, doctors. Uh, you know, things that you just can't buy online. Mm-hmm. Uh, FedEx, for example, is a great. You know, UPS, uh, you know, restaurants to some degree, things that are somewhat uh, e-commerce proof have become uh, uh, more more attractive. So, you know, we love to have dentists, you know, their service, their service providers. So that those are great, great tenants, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and and also retailers that have uh, navigated through. And understand e-commerce like discount stores have exploded you know uh dollar stores uh burlington is is the is the poster child for that mm. you know um so you know some, again they're very sophisticated retailers and and understand how how to uh but that's who we, we want to have as tenants these are very sharp sharp business people you know, billion dollar companies and and um that's that's who we want as a tenant yeah, that really right. ta- that really does take some sophistication as you think about all the implications of this shift from uh you know a a retail establishment to one that's essentially a showroom for what people right. uh see online. I mean, there's a lot of Correct. that that's that's easier uh talked about than done in practice. Than done. Yeah. Right. And and when restoration hardware did that years ago, it was it was uh you know, it was a uh, it was a very new and novel approach, and now I understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. first time I walked in, I said, "You know, we like whatever it happened to be." My wife and I walked in. We said, "We'll buy that." And they said, "Well, we can't sell that to you." Right? Okay, it's just a showroom. Mm-hmm. It's a lifestyle look. So uh, that's, uh, I think, 
and, and and because real estate has become very expensive for tenants, their 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 uh, their evolution is to use their storefront, their stores, not for inventory, which is an expensive inventory uh, location, more of a showroom. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, uh, I think it's it's very smart. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, why dollar stores? People love a bargain. Mm. I mean, uh, they just love a bargain. It's funny. I heard this, uh, years ago with Walmart, Walmart would go into a town and the first generation Walmart was replaced by a second generation Walmart. And I mean, Walmart hypothetically, you think their first box was 50,000 feet, whatever it happened to have been. Now they're, you know, 250,000 feet. But what it would do was it would also decimate the town. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Walmart would, would, would not sublease their old location. Okay. Which would block out other competition. And then it would also hurt the town. And so uh, I forgot where, where I actually read this or saw this, but people were discussing whether it was beneficial to uh, have the Walmart there as, as opposed to the detriment of the town of the local town. And people ended up to basically saying unanimously, we'd rather have a deal. We'd rather have cheap prices. Okay. Mm. And so because, and because of that, that's the, that's the core uh, issue of dollar stores, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, uh, that, the, the Alamo industry, uh, that's a whole nother chapter and verse, but uh, you know, a lot of these started because they had excess inventory. You know, and so that was a way to not be taxed on it. And they they opened, you know, uh, dollar locations. It's cheaper to sell stuff for a dollar than pay tax on it, on the excess inventory. Yeah. Uh, uh, outlet malls, are that's their core. That's what they started. Mm-hmm. You know, they had all this excess clothing and they were being taxed on it. So they said, well, let's just go sell it. Right. And these outlet malls and they stayed far enough away from their other clients. And uh, that's what got the outlet mall industry going jen how (laughs) yeah that's fascinating um Uh, yeah yeah, jen how important are the demographics of a particular uh area to you versus just uh the fact that they're major intersections because those aren't exactly the same thing always and everywhere correct absolutely right uh demographics to me reflect back on the type of tenant you know, you want the you want the ability to to fix a problem, and and meaning that again, what I said earlier is you have a shopping center, a certain area that has a certain demographic, which attracts a certain type of tenant, right? Uh, years ago, we had an Office Depot in one of our centers, and I was asking the Office Depot uh, real estate rep, you know, basically why you're here. They said we want to be in the area. Uh, you know, they weren't their commercial business wasn't wasn't the, the goal. The goal was to have be near the families. So a family could go in there and because they needed school supplies, mm. right? And they needed printers and all the other issues. So that demographic where they put themselves told, you know, might have been might have been, you know, business light, right? Neighborhood, neighborhood businesses, uh, but the demographic of the area provided their customer. So, so everybody's different, right? I mean, Goodwill is a prime example. Goodwill wants to be in, in areas that have that are very high end, 
You wouldn't think that it would be, but they are because they get high end donations. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, people, you know, we had a location, we had a property in Buckhead that Goodwill at one time wanted. And then everybody said, we don't want Goodwill. We don't want Goodwill Industries. But they want to be there because they knew they would get super, you know, really high end donations. And so uh, it's, it's all about the demographic. And then it's all about access to the demographic and who your customer is. Mm. Yeah. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what is the, what's the future look like? Here, I mean, how are mm-hmm. how are the what are the secular changes, either good or bad, that you're seeing that are going to affect investment in shopping centers? Well, that's a good question. Again, uh, I think that again, uh, s- service based tenancy is now the core. Grocers are the core. Uh, Drugstars are the core. So I think people still need to eat. They still need to get dressed. They still need drugs, right? And they, and they still need the services, the dentists and the physicians and things like that. So um, I think that's going to continue to be what's the 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 backbone of and what you want to invest in when you're looking to invest in in uh, in real estate. Um, it's, it's, it's just the surety of, of you have the surety of, of the cash flow, meaning that I heard one, that one of the, I was talking, I think it was Bank of America guy one time, They're, the lowest default rate were, uh, I think pediatric dentists maybe, or dentists in general, mm-hmm. you know, so that's who you want as a tenant, right? So, um, yeah, answer your question, the future of real estate. Um, from my perspective, it's sort of still down the middle of the fairway. Mm. You know, um, er, you know, urban's wonderful, but uh, it's, it's, I just, I sort of shy away from, from a lot of the mom and pops being the lead generator. Mm. Right. So, um, we're more of a, you know, we want to be more traditional. It's family. We, we own it. We started it. And so, you know, we want to uh, keep it in the family. So would you rather invest in having CBS as your tenant or, 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 or Bob's drugs, mm. you know, or, or John's drugs? Yeah. So. <laughs> Certainly CBS versus John's drugs. I can yeah, tell John, you that. Right, right. So that's it. <laughs> John, so I hope I answered your question. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, and I was, you mentioned urban. Um, I was going to mm-hmm. go toward, you know, suburban X, X urban, whatever that means, you know, beyond suburban Atlanta, uh, right. uh, and then urban. I mean, what, what, how do you, do you even look at it that way? Well, it's funny because Atlanta's is a, is a great center. Great draw, great uh, real estate investment uh, for real estate investment. Uh, our vacancy rate, at least for for retail, is very low, mm. right? And traditionally, you know, traditionally, uh, you know, you would have shopping centers that would sort of, you know, uh, if the regional malls were the mothership, you know, you'd rather hang around the regional malls. But since the regional malls have sort of, to some degree, the big anchors you know, have sort of taken on the chin. 
So now uh, it's because of the, the, and the traffic in Atlanta specifically, uh, these outlying areas, which used to be more of a, let's go up to Dahlonega for the day. Mm-hmm. Now, in theory, Dahlonega is now a suburb, <laughs> right? Right. Right. Yep. I mean, so, right. So do you want to, let's, let's be smart and leapfrog. Let's go up and look around Dahlonega. Let's go look around, you know, North Georgia. Let's go look around, you know, Clayton. Let's go look around those areas like that because the exodus is, 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 is coming. You know, the traffic in Atlanta, Atlanta is a major city and, and so it reverberates out. So once again, shopping's convenience and your customer being who we think they might be, uh, doesn't want to deal with the traffic. So, uh, suburban versus urban, um, that's, you know, I, I, I understand it. It's conflict avoidance and people don't want the stress to having to go park in a multi-tiered deck to go buy, you know, to go buy groceries. I get it. So they'd rather, you know, go and up to Forsyth County up to near Avalon is great. Yeah. So, um, but interestingly enough, and this isn't something you ask, but there are, uh, there are, uh, uh, applications that that our agents use that basically tracks uh, foot traffic into c- certain certain malls and certain re- tenants. For example, we have Trader Joe's as a tenant. Trader Joe's will not tell you their sales. They're private. They won't tell you their sales. Okay, mm-hmm. but there's certain uh, uh, applications that will tell you the footsteps, the number of footsteps into that store, and they track it by your cell phone. So you could say, for example, which malls have the highest foot traffic? You don't know what the sales are, but in theory, you have foot traffic, which is sales, mm-hmm. right? Eventually turns into sales. So that will tell you which markets are having the largest, you know, the largest visitations. And uh, I mentioned Avalon earlier. I think Avalon up in North Georgia, North, uh, I think uh, Alpharetta coming is one of the most populated centers or visited centers in the metro area mm. based on basically just foot traffic, mm-hmm. you know? So foot traffic translation into, into views and views translates into customers. Yep. Yep. So yeah, um, I'm, I'm sort of giving you a windy answer, but. I, I like it. You know, I, uh, um, you like it. A lot, a lot, well, there's a lot there to, to uh, uh, mull yeah. on. And uh, one one more thing, while we're talking about sure. s- suburbs, you mentioned uh, some of the redevelopment, and I, you know, you uh, malls don't seem to be something you pay a lot of attention to from an investment point of view. But I guess right. you you're an observer of what's going on there. So, how do you view some of the the redevelopment of malls that some of the uh, suburbs are like Alpharetta's looking at North Point Mall. Um, yeah. I know, you know, Gwinnett's looking at Gwinnett Mall, you know, you know, what, what, what are, what, yeah. what, what does that look like from your perspective it, and what's going to be successful? It's, it's a good question. It's hard because those are dinosaurs. Mm. I mean, Gwinnett Place Mall just got eviscerated by Mall of Georgia, where mm. we happen to have a center as well. Uh, so it's, it's a, it's an adaptive reuse. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is it? Uh, I think uh, Gwinnett Place Mall might have been purchased by Gwinnett County. Right. And so the issue is, it's what's the adaptive reuse? Is it apartments which have been taking a lot of spaces, right? Um, 
or, or some type of a soup backfill uh, superstore, ethnic superstore ta- happens to take a few of them. But a lot of them is simply the la- going back to the land. Uh, so the area might be solid, but the but the mall itself is dysfunctional. So the issue is how can you make how can you adaptively reuse uh, those buildings? Mm-hmm. I saw summer recently, um, and my wife and I just started playing pickleball. Although I'm maybe three or four occasion playing pickleball is called actually participating in pickleball. But uh, I have heard that some of these older stores are now turned themselves into pickleball courts. I've heard that. Yeah. Which to me, there's a perfect example of adaptive reuse. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, do you want to invest in a store that has pickleball as your tenant is another <laughs> right. chapter. In, I, you know, I don't, but maybe you do, but, yeah. but I think that's a really nice adaptive reuse. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, those those malls, those enclosed malls, are a uh, are a real dinosaur. They are they are, and uh, smarter guys than me have uh, are struggling to continuously to figure figure them out. Right. Yeah, Jan Saperstein, folks, Southeastern Asset Management Group. Uh, Jan, I could keep going for quite a while, but uh, we need to. <laughs> you, this has been uh, fantastic. I've, I've I've learned a lot. I know our listeners have. Um, if someone would like to be in touch, can they? And if so, how can they do that? Uh, I'll give it. I can give my email address, which is probably the easiest thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I'll, I'll spell it for you. It's J initial J Saperstein. It's S A P as in pizza E R S T E I N at S E A M short for Southeast Asset Management S E A M dot U S dot com. And, uh, um, uh, I'm, I'm really sympathetic, empathetic with people who want to, want to do this because, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't start with any money and mm-hmm. that's a whole nother thing is how do you, how do you get money to go do this? Mm. Right. Mm. And so I think that's a, that's novel too. Usually you get 45 years of experience and be able to how to do that. Everybody says, Oh, I love it, but I have no money. It's like, I didn't have any money. <laughs> you know? So how do you, how do you, how do you sort of break that code? That sounds like a whole nother show. We may have to have you back for that. Yeah. (laughs) We may have to have you back for that, Jan. Uh, Yeah. Terrific. Jan Saberstein folks, uh, Southeastern asset management group, Jan, it's been a a fun and pleasure and informative. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Hey folks, just a quick reminder. Thank you again for your support. We just passed the seventh year anniversary of this show. We're, we're, we've passed, I think, 660 episodes, something like that, of this show. And we've only done that because of your support. So thank you for continuing to do what you've done in the past. Share the show when you've heard uh, a great business leader like Jan that you think others need to hear from. Uh, you've shared the show. And uh, you've followed us on social media and, and uh, given us all sorts of praise there and, and uh Big thumbs ups, and we appreciate that because that helps people find the show, and it helps us fulfill our mission to be the voice of business in the North Fulton area. So for my guest, Jan Saperstein, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on North Fulton Business Radio.